Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon from lead pastor, Jamie Miller. A couple of things here before I introduce our speaker um, today, who I'm just so excited to introduce to you guys. But first of all, I want to just give a little bit of a construction ministry kind of timeline here. Next Sunday, right here in this auditorium where we've been worshiping for quite a number of years, this will be our last Sunday in this room. And uh, we will be doing a live stream. You can sign up for that in the room. And then uh, it's it's actually kind of emotional for me because I walked through there the other just the other day and, and thought, man, we have met the Lord so many wonderful times and in powerful ways right there. It's been a thin place for us between heaven and earth. And I remember walking, that used to be called Boland's Toy Store. If you're an old-timer Fort Worth person, that was a toy store. And I remember walking in there, carpet was ratty and just junk around and a few dead bugs, you know, like that, before we were ever in this space. And... uh I remember telling the owner, the former owner of this building, we want to make this place beautiful. And even just this past week, I had somebody from the neighborhood of uh, somebody's parents that live in the neighborhood. They had commented to their kids, we've been watching this building change and we've been watching this whole area be made more beautiful because this church is here. Well, next Sunday, next Sunday is the worship time, uh, on Sunday morning and then Sunday night, we're going to have a, a final worship time, 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. if you want to come to that worship, Thanksgiving, a few testimonies, just how God's met us here. But then we'll be moving from there as we'll have a parking lot service on November 15th. And then on November 22nd, we're moving from there over to the venue for our live stream services. And it's a little tighter but it's going to allow us to get all of this work done in one phase of construction. And that's going to move the timeline from nine months to five months. It's going to save us some, a big chunk of money as well. Just And really, COVID's kind of been the reason we're getting to do this. So that's a positive. Uh, if you're going to look for positives, and that's my top uh, strengths finder, always is. I'm always looking for the positive out of every situation, right? So, uh, yeah, we'll be in there moving forward from November 22nd on and Lord willing, five months later, early April, early May, just right in there, we are going to be worshiping over in that new auditorium. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of our Nathan series and we've got a special speaker with us today. Her name's Julie Bullock. She's down from Tulsa. She has been our generosity coach throughout this whole thing and just, I, literally can't say enough about her. It's been a joy. She is like a dear sister, a dear friend. She is a, a friend of Antioch Fort Worth and she has blessed us so much. The first day I met her, we spent six hours right over here in this conference room, a bunch of us, and we had a big night that night. It was a volunteer bash. And so six hours, I came home, had to change real quick. I told Kim, she goes, are you tired? Or I said, no, I'm inspired. I've been with Julie Bullock for six hours and she's just discipling us all in generosity. I literally can't say enough about her. Please give a warm Fort Worth welcome to Miss Julie Bullock. Amen. (laughs) 
Well, Antioch, thank you. And Jamie and Kim, thank you so much for the warm welcome. I just feel totally blessed to be uh, in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of this church family. And I promise you this sermon is not six hours. So um, I, I promise you. But uh, it is such a joy just to even be in this place where the Lord is doing so much. And it's so encouraging to hear that update that he, just five months from now um, that you all are going to be worshiping. And, and I bet so many others that don't know the Lord yet are going to be coming in to that space uh, because of your faithfulness. So let me pray this morning, and then we're going to dive in to, uh, to the Lord's Word. Does that sound good? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for this this morning we've already had, this beautiful, incredible uh, morning, God, where your sun is, is shining uh, so much upon us, God. And so we just even ask right now, would you speak to each one of us in a way that only you can? God, you know each one of our situations. You know each one of our fears. You know each one of our hopes, God. And would you uniquely breathe uh, through your word uh, truth, boldness into our lives in, in ways, God, that honors you, God, in ways that brings glory to you, uh, God, that brings more people into relationship with you. Uh, God, we just pray that this would be a time where we would hear your voice so clearly uh, speaking uniquely to each one of us. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Well, I thought I'd start with a story, and um, some of you, I know I know some of you, but there's others of you I don't know, so this is a great way to, I think, set up our topic for, for today. So when I was in college, I went, I didn't go to TCU, although it's an incredible school, I, I, uh, I love TCU, uh, but I went to Wheaton College in Chicago. And it was my sophomore, there's a couple Wheaties, a couple Wheaties, it was my sophomore year and I was dating a gentleman and going over to his family's home for the first time for dinner. Now, some of you might remember either when you went over the in-laws uh, the, for the first time for dinner or, or somebody that you were dating. And, and if you were like me, I was a little bit nervous. And I knew that um, for a home-cooked meal, I needed to eat everything that was on my plate. Well, most meals are served in one of two ways, most normal meals. They're either served buffet-style where you've got all of the food out on the kitchen island, right, or the countertop, or they're served family style, where there is uh, meals in uh, bowls in the middle of the table, and you get to decide also your portions. And in both of those formats, you get to choose how much of each item you want to eat, which makes it easier to consume it all, right? Now, this meal was, it was not in COVID. This was 20 some odd years ago. And so it was not during COVID, but for whatever reason, I think because this was a 10 member family, some of you know what that's like. And uh, the mother, his mother was doing some rationing. So each one of our places, each one of our place settings with our plates had already been pre-portioned. So there was a huge chicken breast, there was a huge pile of green beans, there was a bowl of baked beans, and I know I'm from Oklahoma and I'm speaking to Texas, but I don't really like baked beans, and there was a huge bowl of them, there was a dinner roll, there was a bunch of salad, and I'm looking at all this and thinking, I'm going to insult this woman, there's no way I can eat all of this food. So I start on the beans, since that was the most intimidating, I go over to the chicken breast, I'm going over here to the salad, hitting the dinner roll, and I come back to this bowl of baked beans, 
and I'm just about done. I'm feeling really proud of myself. And I look across at the gentleman's father, who was kind of a gruff attorney in town. No offense to any of you who are in the law profession, but sometimes you can be kind of gruff. So I looked across the table at this um, this uh, kind of gruff lawyer, his father, and uh, he said this, were you going to leave any for us? Apparently, I had eaten the entire 10-member family's bowl of baked beans. <laughs> I'll just say it was an interesting night for a couple of reasons. I'm just going to leave it right there. <laughs> I share that story with you. It's 100% true. Um, I think even he still tells it to this day. And they're a wonderful family, wonderful family. But uh, if you liked baked beans, like I would imagine many in Texas do, uh, when someone, a guest at your dinner table, consumes all of the baked beans for the entire table, you might have a gruff look on your face as well. But I share that story with you um, to illustrate a point. So that night, I was so focused on my own place setting. Like literally, I was so nervous. I was so kind of self-absorbed. Like I didn't mess anything up. I, that I, not, not once did I really look out at anyone else's place setting. Because if I had, I would have noticed no one else had a massive bowl of baked beans to the right of their water glass. But I didn't. I was so focused on my own sphere. And I'll say this about generosity, and I'll even say this about generosity in this pandemic, is that sometimes, and boy, I hear you, because it is, it's, it's different times right now. It is unique times. But sometimes we can easily, and the enemy wants us to get so focused on just kind of survival, so focused on just our own sphere, because there's a lot to take care of in that sphere. And, and, and many of you have things going on other people don't even know about that you have to take care of in that sphere. But God doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to just be consumed with our own situation. He doesn't want us to just be trying to survive. He wants us to look out at other people's place settings, learn from them. He wants other people to look at ours and, and learn from that. And one of the things I've so appreciated about Antioch in this season is the uh, ability to tell stories there have been incredible stories from, from the Nathan Initiative, but just from ministry in general, week after week, day after day, that the Lord is doing things in our lives. And I just want to encourage us as we dive into the Word of God today, allow our generosity to be communal. Allow it to be something we are given to God to be given for others. And we cannot let, we cannot let this hindrance sometimes of the world trying to keep us all in our own sphere. And man, is it tempting to do. But even evidence of the fact that we're worshiping here together today, whether you are online, you are still with us. Whether you are here physically, you are with us. And we can be with one another in a lot of different ways and share that generosity. Amen. Well, I'm going to look at four different truths in scripture today. And the first one that we're going to look at actually comes out of second Corinthians nine. So if you have your scripture, if you can see the screen, it's on the screen. You can pull up your device if you, if you've got a phone or I'm going to read it to you if you just want to listen. But this comes from the apostle Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. Now, many of you know this, but the apostle Paul was a church planter. He was going around in his missionary journeys at planting churches, encouraging churches, and he was constantly receiving offerings all the time. In fact, that's why we get some of our best 
teaching on generosity from the Apostle Paul is because he was always challenging God's people to give. And so here in this second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 9, I'm just going to read first out of verses 10 and 11. And to set the stage, this particular offering was being received for some of the poor churches in Jerusalem. Now, Corinth was across the Mediterranean Sea from Jerusalem. So it was not likely that these early believers in Corinth knew the early believers in Jerusalem. It wasn't likely. They were quite far away. And so Paul was asking them to give to another church that they would never even see. But here's the important thing, even in this passage, is that not only was he receiving an offering, he was taking time to teach. And so here's what he said, beginning in verse 10. Now he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now here they are. These early believers are about to give this offering. And Paul wants to make sure that the heart is right from which they're doing their giving. He wants to remind them of God's provision. Truth number one is this. Generosity given means that I believe in God's provision. And sometimes that's really difficult in this world and in this time when some different things and situations that are happening cause us to doubt, God, are are you going to provide? But will I have enough? And the apostle Paul is encouraging these early believers. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, he'll not only supply, but he'll increase your store of seed. And verse 11 is so fascinating because he tells us why we've been given the resources we've been given. And he says this, you've been enriched in every way so that you can feel more secure about your future. No, he did not say that. He said, you've been enriched in every way so that you can feel better about the accomplishments you've made. No, I don't think that was it either. He said, you've been enriched in every way so that the Joneses know how much you have. No, he didn't say that either. He said, you've been enriched in every way for one purpose. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. So it begs this question. Amen. We can clap for the Lord's word. Absolutely. We can. We've been enriched in every way so we can be generous on every occasion. So it begs this question. If you were God, would you give you more money? It's kind of like a gotcha, kind of a little bit of a chuckle uh, type of a question. If you were God, would you give you more money? See, often we think, well, Lord, as soon as I get out of debt or as soon as I get out of college and I get a job or as soon as this pandemic is over or as soon as I get this promotion at work, as soon as I'm done paying for this car, there's so many things that would get us into maybe a different situation that we're in now. But you know what? God gave you your situation. He's the one that gave it to you. You don't need to explain yourself to anyone. He knows your situation. He's the giver of all things. And so when we say, Lord, how have I uniquely been enriched? And Lord, am I being a conduit for your generosity? Whatever level, whatever amount that he's given you, whatever provision, it's come from him. He's our sole provider. And Lord, 
Am I being a conduit to where he would say, flow more, flow more generosity through her, flow more resources through him. Generosity given means that I believe in God's provision. Let's go a little further. Amen. Amen. I love it. Let's go a step further in that very same passage, verses 12 through 15. So if you're following along, we're just going to continue right in the flow of this chapter. So the Apostle Paul is still speaking, and he says, this service you perform, and he's talking about generosity. That's what he's talking about. This generosity you perform, it's not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people. So remember, this offering was going to one of the poor churches in Jerusalem. So he's saying, it's not only paying for ministry to happen. It is doing that. So he might be saying to Antioch, Antioch, your generosity, it's not just building this building over here. There's something bigger that's happening. Because uh, it, it's not just supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this generosity, because of this service by which you've proved yourselves, others, they'll see that. They'll praise God because of the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. I'm just going to pause right there mid-verse because the Apostle Paul is saying right here, generosity doesn't just pay for the mission. It actually is the mission. Generosity isn't just paying for a building. It actually is a conduit through which God is showing other people who he is, showing them his glory. See, uh, this second truth is this. Generosity given, it's less about what I'm giving to. It's more about what I'm giving from. Am I giving from a gospel confession? Am I giving from the truth that Christ did something for me so that he's going to do something through me? See, generosity is something because of this service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for that obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing it with them and with everyone else. See, he doesn't want you to keep it at your own place setting. Even if you are generous, he doesn't want you to just make it about you. He wants you to share your story. He wants you to share what he's done in you so that not just so that someone else can be generous, but so they can know the Lord's goodness. See, when we give, it's not about us anyway. It's about God working through us and in us. And he says, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. See, it's not even about us anyway. It's about the grace of God. And then Paul ends with this. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. The gift to give. It's such a privilege. See, generosity is so much less about what we are giving to. Although this was an incredibly worthy offering for the church in Jerusalem. And this uh, that I am looking at right here. And, and my husband are privileged to partner with you. We're, we're giving along with you for this building right here to see more souls saved. But it's even, even there's something more that God is doing in us than what he's doing through us. Amen. Okay. Pop over with me one chapter earlier. We're going to stay right here. In fact, if you're ever just wanting one of the longest treatises on generosity in the Bible, it's second Corinthians eight and nine right here. So even after today, if you want to go home and say, I just want to study more about this, man, these two chapters, we could probably do eight sermons right here, but I promise I will only do one and it will only be half an hour. Okay. So let's pop over to chapter eight. Now the apostle Paul, he's still speaking to the same church at Corinth. It's still in this letter. And just to give you a context on the church at Corinth, they were not a church in poverty. Uh, we do not find from anything historically that they struggled financially. 
But the Apostle Paul told them a story of three churches in the region of Macedonia that did struggle financially and how they gave. And he told them this story as a means of inspiring them of how they might give. And so I'm going to begin here actually in verse uh, verse one out of chapter eight. And and these just to even set the stage, some of you might know this. This region of Macedonia that that Paul's referring to in this passage there were three churches that made up that region. And I think you're familiar with them. One was the church at Philippi. So when we get the, the letter, uh, Philippians, that was to that church. The other one was the church at Thessalonica. So first and second Thessalonians was, was to that church. The third one was the church at Berea. There is no book of Berea. They must have been a perfect church and they needed no letter. Uh, but that was the third early church. So when Paul says the Macedonian churches, he's referring to these three churches who were going through a severe trial. So I'm going to actually begin in verse one, chapter eight. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given these Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. So on their own accord, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They exceeded our expectations. Now here's, here's this, this, this second part of verse five here is so key. So they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And I want to pause right there because here it is, this miraculous outpouring of generosity from a group of people who were in extreme poverty going through a severe trial. And you might think, well, goodness, they're, they're excused from giving, right? Like, didn't Paul know, hey, skip over those three towns when you're doing your missionary journeys and receiving your offerings. They're going through a very hard time right now. Hey, there's a pandemic going on. Let's just kind of pause on generosity. We'll know that 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 sounds insane to us who are the people of God. It would have sounded insane to the Macedonians. They pleaded to take part in this. They said, don't skip over us. Yeah, we're going through a severe trial. We, we're in extreme poverty. Don't, don't rob us of the joy of giving. And out of this extreme poverty welled up rich generosity. And so you say, well, how were they even able to do this? Why did this happen? Was it because they were their great frugality or was it because their ability to be so close um, to, to the Lord? Here's what it was. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. See, the truth is sometimes when we're giving, we give ourselves first of all to our spreadsheets. Now, I'm not, uh, my, I'm looking at Micah who can do a mean spreadsheet, like, like no one's business. Spreadsheets are very wise for many purposes, but how many of us sometimes when we're giving, we give ourselves first of all to our budget or sometimes first of all to our house or first of all to our kids. I'm a mother too. It's very challenging to not let other things come before giving ourselves first of all to the Lord and not making up the decision of what we can or can't give before we spend that time step in step with him and say, Lord, you know, my situation, you gave me my situation. What does it look like for me to be abundantly radically generous to you in this season? See, there's another part of scripture where the apostle Paul speaks so powerfully to this truth of first, because this third truth is generosity given 
means I give myself first to the Lord. And in uh, the book of Colossians, which was Paul's letter to the, to the Roman church at Colossae, he wrote powerfully about a truth about Christ and how we should live our lives. Now, some of you know the book of Colossians very well, and most scholars tell us that this letter to the church at Colossae was probably written around 90 AD. That's what most people think. And so 90 AD is interesting because not everyone living in 90 AD had personally witnessed Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. Some had, but some were hearing about it secondhand. And so because of that, it was almost like the telephone game, right? If you've ever played the telephone game, you share a message and it kind of gets diluted along the way. Well, the word of God, boy, we've got this nowadays. Amen. There's nothing getting diluted about this, right? We've got the spirit of God in us. But in this early church, there was a lot of what we would call heresy going on. And so it was about 90 AD, there was just a wave of believers that hadn't physically witnessed Jesus, and they were starting to say things about Jesus that were not true. And so they were saying things like, Jesus is not the way to the Father, he's just a way to the Father. Heresy. They were saying, in order to go to heaven, you don't, you don't have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you just have to ascertain a certain level of knowledge. Heresy. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae so boldly. It's amazingly bold if you read it because he wanted to refute these heresies and tell us who Jesus is. And this wonderful wind has blown my pages all the way to, here we go, Colossians. Okay, so chapter 1, verse 15 is where I'm going to be. And, uh, and I want you to just listen to these words as the Apostle Paul boldly proclaims. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He says, let me just correct the record here of who Jesus is. He's the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created. Things on heaven, he, he, things on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Oh, it's so powerful. He continues on, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether they are on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It all goes back to the gospel. It all goes back to what Jesus has done for us. And here's the thing. When he says that Christ is before all things and all things are by him, to him, through him, and for him, we need to give like we believe that. Because if we're really honest sometimes, it's easy to get out of alignment when we would say, all things are by our house, to our house, through our house, and for our house. And I have been there. You get into a situation you probably shouldn't have gotten into, and then all of a sudden you're making decisions that are not in line. You're saying, okay, Lord, help me get right side up where all things are by you, to you, through you, for you. I just became a mom two years ago, and I will confess, some things are by my child, to my child, through my child, and for my child, right? And there's nothing wrong and everything right with loving our children. But when our priorities get out of whack, see, God's not just number one on a page of priorities. God is the page. See, our lives are made up of a lot of really important things, really important things, paying for our kids' education, 
providing for our families through a home, eating and, and sheltering and all these things, the things we do even, even for our neighbors, so many incredible things. But if they're all not driven by that page, if they're all not driven by the fact that Christ has done everything for us and everything is by him, to him, through him and for him, then we're not living truly first for him. He's just first in order on some list of priorities that we carry out. See, generosity given means I give myself first to the Lord. Fourth and final point is this. Generosity given, it means I honor God with 100%. I honor God with 100%. We're going to continue on in the same passage. We're just going to stay right here in 2 Corinthians 8. And so remember, Paul has been encouraging these early believers as they are getting ready to uh, give an offering. And he wants to just make sure that their hearts are right. In fact, a passage that we didn't read today, but that probably many of us know, later in chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says, don't give out a compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. We know that passage, right? There's so many pieces in here where where Paul says, I know we're giving an offering for a very worthy cause, but I want to make sure from where it's coming. So I'm going to actually pick it up here. In verse six, right where we left off. And, and right here in verse six is where the apostle Paul is reminding them that Titus is going to come to collect the offering and he's very trustworthy. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made the beginning, to bring to completion this act of grace on your part. I'm actually going to stop right there because what Paul's getting ready to remind these believers is that a year ago, Paul and Titus came to them and they said they were going to give this offering. And so now they've come back to receive the offering. And so he's reminding them, hey, you, you had this desire to do this. Now see it through. And I just want to encourage us because, um, you know, back on March 12th or whatever day in March it was when the world just went crazy and the speaker fell down. I hope that didn't just happen. Uh, when the world went crazy back in March. I don't know about you, but there were a lot of things that we started a question and to say, okay, Lord, you, do you, I made that, I made that commitment to this. Do you, you still want me to do that? Lord, I made my commitment to do that. Do you still want me to give that Lord? But this happened and this happened and this happened. And one of the things I've heard Jamie say so many times is this notion. And I've even heard a couple of incredible stories from, from Antioch folks is this notion to stay committed, to keep that desire to finish strong to what God originally called us to do. And so that's exactly, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is encouraging these believers. There's actually a year prior, which is kind of cool because a year prior, those of you who are a part of this Antioch family, we made commitments a year ago. Some of you are going to join us for the first time in this Nathan initiative this time. But the Apostle Paul is saying, we came a year ago and you said you were going to do these things. Now match your desire to do them with your completion of it. And so he's encouraging them in that. He says, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know, and he goes back to the gospel, he always goes back to the gospel, what Christ has done. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's my judgment about what's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, 
but to have that heart desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Now verse 12 is so powerful. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. See, God's not asking you to give from what you don't have. If, if you're in college and you don't yet have a job, but, but you do have other resources. I've heard some incredible stories from college students. I love our college students here at Antioch. God's given you something. He's given you gifts. He's given you resources. He's not asking you to give from what you don't have. He's asking you to give from what you have. See, it doesn't matter if you have the largest house in Fort Worth or the smallest house in, in Fort Worth. Are you honoring God with your house? It doesn't matter if you have five cars, one car, or maybe no car, but are you honoring God with your vehicles? It doesn't matter the size of your bank account, uh, savings account, but are you honoring God with that? See, I don't know about you, but that's a question I constantly have to ask myself because God's not asking me to give what I don't have, but he very much is asking me to give from what I have. And so the question is, Lord, am I honoring you? with everything you've given me, not just what you will give me in my income, but Lord, what you already have given me. Am I honoring you with my house? And see, here's the thing. When we ask that question of the Lord, and if it's been a while since you've asked that question, am I honoring you with my house? Am I honoring you with my car? Am I honoring you with my bank account in how I spend, in how I go out to eat, in how I save? See, I grew up in a household where, and some of you might know what this is like, my dad taught us to save every dollar we could because we might not know what tomorrow would be like. And that's not the Bible. That was just my dad. Um, in fact, he taught us to save 50% of every dollar. Uh, so I'll tell you this. He and I have both been since broken of that theology. That's not biblical theology. But I'll, I'll tell you, I grew up. Amen. Yes. I grew up in that household where saving was my God and saving was my idol. And some of you, you're not big spenders. You shop at Walmart like I do or you're, or Target or whatever the preferred retailer is around these parts. But your challenge, your idol, what you're not honoring God with is control. And in my life, the idol of control, I was not honoring God. I was trying to control my own future instead letting God control my future. And so for me, I had, and I have to continually ask myself that question, Lord, Am I honoring you in how I save? Am I honoring you in how I give? Am I honoring you in how I spend? See, there's nothing wrong with having a house, nothing wrong with having a car, nothing wrong with having savings whatsoever. But to ask ourselves, God, am I honoring you with that? And if the answer is no, you've got two choices. You can either redeem that house and start honoring God in that house today. It's possible if you'd say, you know what? I have never thought about that question or I haven't thought about it in a while if I'm honoring God with what he's given me. And if you're not honoring God with your house or your car, or your bank account, the first choice you might have is you redeem that house and you start honoring God in it right away. The second choice might be that you need to release that house and get in a house that you can honor God in. And no one can make that decision except for you and the Lord. No one knows what's going on in your household except you, the Lord, and probably your spouse. 
See, it's not wrong to have possessions. In fact, Paul tells his, his apprentice, Timothy, he says, it's not bad to have wealth. It's bad to put our hope in it. We're not to put our hope in our things. We're supposed to put our hope in God. And so what does it look like to honor God with 100% of everything he's given? With open hands, know that we are given to God to be given for others. Amen. I'd love for you to hear a story from one of your own, Sarah Schuler, your own Sarah Schuler, told a beautiful story of God's provision in her life. And as we all think about this question, God, am I truly living, living as someone who's been given? Am I living in a way that my generosity isn't just what I give to, but what I give from? And I'm living in a way that puts you first, that I'm step in step with your goodness and your firstness in my life. And God, am I honoring you with everything? And I hope you're encouraged by this beautiful story uh, of Sarah's. <laughs> 